מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ אוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM. כל רמה Shalom, and welcome to Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malman, and joining me today, as always, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky and Rabbi Barry Chesler. Gentlemen, hello, it's great to see you. How are you doing? It's doing well, thank you. It's good to be here. Okay, we were talking before the broadcast about the length of our beards and its color. I think you still have a little white on me. A little I more. Know. Okay, but Lagbomer is coming up. And who knows? Gentlemen, we have a great Parsha this week. But before that, we want to just do a shout-out. Avi Chesler had a birthday this week. Mazel Tov. Thank you. Happy birthday, Avi. 18 and going on. Hi. Okay. And uh, many of our five listeners, five viewers, have people that they want to dedicate this to. Um, uh, Please let us know. Send us an email. You have our emails because there's only five of you. And maybe we can grow this community of ideas, this community of Parsha Talk lovers. You can send us your recommendations for dedication. Dedication. And you can send us your Visa or MasterCard, and we will... <laughs> we will dedicate a Parsha Talk broadcast to you. Well, we have an, a, an amazing Parsha. I mean, all these Parshiot in, in, in uh, Vayikra are amazing. Uh, we're dealing with the central theme of Kedusha, which we're going to talk about. But prior to that... We are thinking about the, the themes related to the Kohanim. Uh, who, let's, I'm going to start off with you, Barry. Let's, let's just jump right into being a Kohen. And, uh, well, you're not a Kohen. Neither, well, Jeremy, you're Barry a Kohen. Jeremy, you're a Kohen. Wait, we have to defer to the Kohen here. Yes. But being a Kohen. It's funny. I had never been to a, I mean, I, I when I went into the synagogue rabbinate, uh, I decided that I would alter my uh, practice because uh, Kohanim, classically speaking, aren't supposed to go into a Jewish cemetery. And in my life, I never had. And then when I went into the pulpit, I realized that, of course, was going to be untenable. Although I should say, in fairness, that we do have friends and colleagues, uh, both in the conservative and the orthodox rabbinate, who are Kohanim, who who stick to it. and And they you know, gather for a funeral and they speak in the parking lot of the, of the chapel or whatever. Um, they don't enter the cemetery, but that is, not, that is not my practice. So I do feel a certain connection to the Kohen chapters, while at the same time recognizing that the, that the ancient caste system, which, which the Torah describes this week, it, it, it sits not that smoothly with all kinds of parts of the modern, um, the modern ethos about, about people and their and their fundamental equality among all people. And, and also, as we were talking about before the, the call began, the questions of uh, disability, because the Kohanim are specifically excluded from the service if they have any sort of physical disability. Well, that, I want to ask you, do you do, do you do, him? do you do? I did. Um, that's not a feature of life in Anche Chesed. Uh, 
And no, I remember Gil, Rabbi Gilman, Professor Gilman. Yes, he loved. He insisted it. on it. Neil actually, oh. I actually said at Neil's funeral, he yeah. he he. he, he um, uh, I was reminded of a time that he uh, um, quoted to me a, uh, we were at the seminary and there was a funeral and he was dashing out the door and he quoted to me a Mishnah in Shavuot about if Kohen is confronted with Tum'ah, he has to get out the quickest way possible. And it was a very un-Neil Gilman kind of moment. Yeah. Um, he was very he was very sentimental about that. He he loved being a fellow. He's your fellow Quebecois. He is. He is. Yeah. We were thinking about it. I don't know how I many. It's a couple of years since we could be we could be Mikadesh a broadcast to his memory. But uh, so I say one thing about you asked me about Birkata Kohanim, and and it's not a feature of Anshach Hasid life because it is so non egalitarian. But when I have a chance to do it in Israel. I love doing so it. So there you go. So we do, we do it at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation at Shemet. You know, we 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 have Birkat Kohanim, and it's a really it's a, it's a it's an interesting moment. It's a very very interesting, fascinating moment. We have our cadre of Kohanim. We 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 honor them, and um, and so let's go to the the, the idea of the blemish. So because, before we go, I just have yeah. a question. Yeah, go ahead. So one of the laws that will come up in the beginning of the parsha. Has to do with whom a Kohen can marry. Yes. And it's specifically forbidden from marrying a divorcee or a zona, I guess we would say a woman of loose reputation, um, as part of the maintenance of the, the holiness. And so the question that comes up, of course, is that you're both Pope rabbis. If a Kohen in your shul is married to a divorcee or a convert or a zona, do you call their children up as Kohen name? That's well, a very good question. We don't. We, in fact, don't do Kohen Levi Aliot, so the question is is not an issue for me personally. Um, and I, I would I would have to say, yeah, I thought you were going to ask me, you know, would we perform such a wedding? It's a long-time conservative practice. Well, first of all, let's take one step back and say that there are weddings which are forbidden in Jewish uh, tradition, which if two people contract the wedding or go through the process of contracting the wedding, it's nullified. It doesn't matter if a brother and sister go through a wedding ceremony. They're still not married. It doesn't take any effect. But a Kohen and a divorcee, according to classical halakha, are not supposed to get married. But if they do, they are married. Right. And so it's been a long-standing conservative practice. In, a, in, a, it's in North America, certainly, where intermarriage is such an issue, if two Jews want to get married, um, we have tended to say... Obviously, that you know, we, we rely on, on those two. Right. In the early of halacha, when Cohen would marry someone he was not supposed to marry, the recommendation was to get married in the rabbi's study. It shouldn't be a public... Uh, a no, public. but you're saying that the children of that kind of marriage are halalim. They're halalim. normal Jews. And that... That is the classical halakha, you know. And, I mean, and serious, it's a very serious issue. They are halalim, and so they cannot eat truma or korbanot. Well, there you go. I myself have never eaten either truma or korbanot. Yes. You've um, always been more pious than we recognize, Jeremy. So, so, but let's go. So, so I, I think the idea of restrictions, restrictive behaviors, and restrictions particularly pertaining to physical disability, uh, which is which is um, you know described here in in, in some detail. Um, how does that sit with you as a kohen? In other words, if if you had some kind of disability, Rabbi Kalmanovsky, as a kohen, uh, if you were lame, 
uh, disfigured or God forbid anything else, um, you forget, forget it. You're out of there. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like I can understand what the ancient mindset was about Kohanim, even as I recognize that it's not, it does not tend to be the way we look at, um, at uh, religious life and value nowadays. Uh, the the mind, ancient mindset, I think, was the world, ancient world was full of sickness. It was full of unhealth. It was full of people in lots of pain. And the, the Mishkan, the Beit HaMikdash, was this zone where people could have a sense of order when the world seemed so disorderly. Right. And so the Kohen represented the place where everything worked. You know, I think in a, in a different kind of way in our own contemporary life, you know, movie stars <laughs> can be like the Kohanim, the people who we look at and we say, oh, they're beautiful, they're orderly, they've got it all together. We in our own crappy little life, we don't have that specialness. In modern life, I, I'm going to say that uh, your your fellow your fellow uh, another Quebecois your 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 of your, uh, your your fellow Canadian Leonard Cohen, yes. I would say the line that American Jews love is from his song Anthem. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's us in our brokenness. That's contemporary spirituality. I think that the spirituality of Amor is more like, can we please have a safe space where nobody's going to have broken bodies? So that's really the attack. I think Kedusha in, in, in one way is really trying to construct that world of order in the the sea of chaos that we i mean we are presently in that sea of chaos you know we we are trying to construct some kind of bastion of order within within the chaos around us and i think that that is i think on a, on a theological level maybe on a spiritual level part of the dynamic that we are living with in in in, in intensity right now it's it's the, the world of disease is chaotic and trying to impose order on that is impossible and you need you know, at least in, in, in the biblical world, you needed um, a semblance of that. You needed some kind of reminder. And the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol and that orderly structure was that. Barry, I think you want to say something. Right. Well, in the ancient world, obviously, there was buy-in to that kind of a system. What interests me is whether we actually feel that we're missing something in our own lives. And can we construct an order today? Is yeah. it a sense that as in ancient Israel, our leaders should live in a slightly different world than the rest of us. Right. Bound by different rules than everyone else because they are in a secular way closer to God, as it were. Um, you know, currently we don't seem to have those standards in the United States. And I'm not sure we do even in the Jewish community, which is obviously our primary concern. But the, I, I wonder if maybe we lose something by not having it that maybe what we need to direct ourselves towards is the cultivation of holiness, both in our daily lives and in our national life. Holiness in the sense of creating boundaries, but holiness, I think, has a, has, has a, a, you know, a series of meanings, and I want to talk about one in a second, and, and this will allow us to go into, um, into the second, one of the second uh, main features of this parsha, Shor Vachesev, you know, the, 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 it's, a, it's a set of readings that's familiar to us from holiday readings um, 
And, um, and here we have some very specific rules pertaining to slaughter of animals, the use of animals, uh, prior to the holiday uh, calendar. Um, Jeremy, I just wanted you to take a moment to, and, and read for us or, or just discuss with us the, the Shor Chesev uh, verses, slaughtering, the, the prohibition against uh, slaughtering uh, uh, you shouldn't slaughter uh, the, 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 the parent animal and the child on the same day. Right. Go with that. So there's a, a pair of verses. If anybody wants to look these up, they're, they're in Leviticus 22, verses 26, 20, 26 27, 28. Uh, and, and it says that um, a baby animal is not fit for for sacrificing until it is eight days old. A little bit of a ring on an anthropological way sure. makes, makes us think about Brit Mila, that somehow living for a week means, you know, you, you, you've got a, you're, you're in a different uh, plane, and uh, there is some element of sacrifice in, in shedding the blood of your, of your infant, your human infant, too. And then it goes on to say, as, as Elliot just read, um, uh, no, no ox or uh, sheep, you, should you kill the parent animal and the child animal in the same day? Um, th this has a ring to modern ears, first of all, in a kind of sustainability ethic, right? We don't want to ruthlessly um, destroy the flock. Uh, it has the ring also of another commandment that will come up in Deuteronomy. You have to shoo away the mother bird before taking the eggs, right? You don't want to just destroy multiple generations of, of an animal at a say at a given moment it's not going to be sustainable but it also it awakens in you a feeling and this is true about the um, mod, the medieval commentators Ramban and uh, uh, in particular um, wants to say that it is to teach us human mercy right it is to awaken in us a feeling of uh, the animal's pain at the loss of its own child Ramban <laughs> says very cleverly you know it's it's not actually like against causing any pain to animals because if it was really against that then we'd all be like rabbi malamed and be vegans but uh, thank you, thank you. it doesn't say that it doesn't say you can't kill the animal it says you can't kill the animal in a way which hardens your heart so much that you don't also experience the parent animal's pain um, we we should feel that animals are also creatures in god's world and I think, not being an animal person myself, I've never had a pet, and I don't really, you know, I don't have that feeling that so many other people have about animals. There is a strong emotional experience to other non-human animals as well, and a decent human heart will care about that. Indeed, indeed. Right, well, part of being human is how we treat other animals. Right? There is a little bit of an irony here that we talk about humaneness when... We're talking about actual animals, which by definition are not human, but our humanness is really rooted in our recognition that we too are animals, and therefore we have to treat other animals as ourselves to the extent that we can. To the extent that we can, but also understanding that, that the divine and that animals are there for, for, the, for sustenance, certainly, uh, and and in the in in Vayikra, animals are there as vehicles of delivering blood to to sacrifice. Uh, they are agents of 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 bringing people near to God. 
but but there was one more aspect of this, you know, which is, or, or, or Barry, you want to add, add something just to Yeah, I just want to say that the sacrificial animals are all domestic animals, so they're animals from your home, right? We're not talking about sacrificing foreign animals or even eating. Well, they're animals from your flock, animals that you have some kind well, of, that you raise. I think that part of it is that, in a sense, they're part of our family. There was a great article in the New York Times many years ago by Verlin Klingenborg, if I remember his name correctly, when he suggested there was a value in knowing the animal that you eat. He grew up on a farm, right. and so the custom was that you raise the animal, and then it would be your family dinner for holidays, for example. And he thought that, that was, there was a value in knowing that animal. I think most of us who live in non-farm environments find that a little much. We, want, we don't want to know our animal. I'll tell you something. My grandmother, she would have said, feh. <laughs> so take us to one more animal thing, which is maybe there's a, a line of continuity, some kind of connection between these verses and, the, and that theory, Jeremy. You're, you're saying that there's something about the, the baby animal. Yeah, the baby animal, I think the little lamb, um, the little calf awakens in us that it, it, I never thought about it, Barry, until you said to be humane is to be human towards a non-human. Like that's what we call it the humane society. Mm -hmm. uh, great use of uh, the, the term there. Um, and, and our mitzvah of lotu vashel gadiba chalevimo, don't cook, the, don't boil the kid in its mother's milk. In its mother's milk, we take it to mean the meat of the young animal in the, in the liquid substance of the mother's milk. But I wonder, and I'm just speculating, whether or not the original context of the verse of don't uh, boil a kid in, in its mother's milk m might mean while it is still a baby, right? Don't boil the kid in its mother's milk while it is still eating its mother's milk. It's still a baby. It's not yet eating grass. Right. And don't kill uh, the baby before eight days or don't right. kill the child. So then, then they kind of align in meaning. The sensitivity towards towards the, the creature, the creature. The right. Well, so make sure... Your comment so suggestive, Jeremy, is that the Gedi is the third animal with the shore and the kesef. Uh -huh. right. So we have a law for the shore and the kesef, and now a law for a Gedi, which are actually the same law. So in that sense, let's let's take a look as deeply into the verse that kind of ends that uh, section. Do not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified in the midst of the Israelite people. I, the Lord, who sanctify you. Kiddush Hashem, Chilul Hashem. For 20. Go for it. <laughs> I defer to the Kohen. Double jeopardy. Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of the name. Chilul Hashem, desecration of the name. The first thing that comes to me when I think about that is something which perhaps is counterintuitive for like a modern monotheistic person who thinks about God as the, you know, the, the cosmic presence. Um, it, it is to say that God's name, God's being, being through God's name is vulnerable, is affectable. You can destroy it and you can sanctify it. Um, and it depends upon you, human being, or community of Israel, or community of other of other nations. Um, you are you are obliged 
to try to make this name sacred. And if you don't, it means you've left it damaged. Um, so, so I think that, that the command of Israel to Kiddush Hashem, which we, we often talk about as meaning a kind of martyrdom, there are certain, certain, certain circumstances in which one is supposed to, uh, even, even unto death, sanctify the divine name. But even if you don't think about it as Kiddush Hashem in that sense, but you just think of it as in your life, do you make the name of God sacred in the world? Or might you blaspheme and wound and, and, and uh, degrade what is sacred and special about the divine name? Indeed. So, so go ahead, Barry. So what, what you remind me of, Jeremy, is that sometimes in a relationship, the weaker party actually has more strength than the, the stronger party. So what you're suggesting is that God's holiness depends not on God, but or not on God alone, but on us and how we behave. I want to. I want to just bring in a, a one thought here. I was reading Eliezer Berkowitz. So he says on Kedusha, we may now better understand what is meant by the concept of holy as applied to God. While the concept, it's it's holy is nearness because it is close to God. It can be close because it is separated from associations and involvements that would render nearness to God impossible. His whole theory is the idea that Kedushah is really not the, the creation of boundaries, but, but the process by which the people become closer to God. That Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is the intimate, you know, imminent relationship. Hashem Tzfaot, Melok Kodosh, is the transcendent. And that there is the drive here of becoming close, which is effected through the mitzvot, and this allows us really to go into the next passage, which is the Mikra Ekodesh, which are sanctified times, but there are times when you are closer to God. There are times when we manifest a certain kind of coming together. And Kodesh, which is the holy, Mikra Ekodesh, the, the presence of your being in the, the state of nearness is what he is trying to say. I don't know if you want to react to that. I do. So in the temple, we have the layers, the chatzir, the courtyard, and then we have the kodesh, the holy place, and then we have the kodesh kodeshim, the holy of holies, as we get physically, in a sense, closer to God. And it's the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, on the holiest day of the year, who gets as close to God as any human being can. And we, of course, live in a world without a temple, but so we no longer have sacred space in the way our ancestors do, but all our life, the one thing that we have and that we share with other people is time. And so time we can always use to come close to God, even when we don't have the space or the place to do so. Fascinating. So, so uh, of course, the, the zones of space become, in, in modern Judaism, uh, sanctuaries of time, as, as, of course, Heschel said. But... but um, you know, what is holy and what is, what is um, profane? I, as a theme for this Parsha, we, we couldn't think of a better question that the, the end of this Parsha addresses. And that is uh, this, this peculiar moment where Ben Isha Yisraelit, Vayetze Ben Isha Yisraelit, who Ben Ish Mitzri, the Torah identifies him as a, as a, a, a matrilineal Jew. They're fighting. Two Israelites, this guy and the other guy. 
בן האישה הישראלית את שם, את השם ויקלל ויביאו אותו למשה, אצטרה, אצטרה. This guy blasphemes. What is blasphemy? What can we relate to it in any way today? You want to take a shot at that, Jeremy Kalmanowski? Rabbi? <laughs> Yeah, I do, but I do. And then I want you to tell the Midrash that you shared with us before. Absolutely. About where this guy comes from, because I think it's really, yeah. really significant. Um, you know, what I was saying before about the name of God being vulnerable, I think it's, it's part of um, the mindset that you need to have to say that something is so precious that I have to defend it. Yeah. That I have to care for it. And... And that it is responsive, um, and that if I degrade it, it's worse for everybody. Mm. Um, you know, we were talking before about the Kohen as the sort of avatar of order and beauty and, and you know, a sense of goodness. Um, I, I think that if we take something, some social institution, um, and, and of course, I don't get too political here, but I think we can think of social institutions of government that are that ought to be precious um, in the United States that that the very uh, office ought to uh, inspire a certain kind of reverence and people degrade them it's bad for everybody because who in the world can view with the same sense of awe um, the presidency if the holders of the presidency behave like like um, boors Right? It diminishes what everybody can relate to the importance of this office. You de- it, it deserves to be treated with a kind of reverence. And so the divine name in this story is regarded in that way as a, a little vulnerable to human beings stomping on it. So you want human beings to revere it, and society will be the better. Um, and I do think that there's, you know, you, you asked uh, Elliot, do we relate to blasphemy anyway? I think in a lot of ways the United States in Western culture, the answer is no, that we, we can say anything, we can talk about anything, we can be a little bit of, um, uh, we can sometimes we can have, be, you know, gutter mouths and stuff. And, and I do think that there's a way in which that diminishes. Barry, you want to, what I was going to suggest is that, um, the what Jeremy describes is a coarsening of individual rights in this country, where the individual, him or herself, comes to be the embodiment of the values that one needs wants to promote. And perhaps what blast the concept of blasphemy comes to teach us is that our standards don't come from the inside, from within us, but they come from the outside. And for religious people, we identify that with God. And right. when we want to substitute our own standard for this outside standard, for God's standard, that is blasphemy. Interesting. Let me, you mentioned the, the Midrash. The Midrash comes from Vayikra, or the Tanchuma, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it, it, I'll skip the beginning part of it. It's in the name of Rabbi Levi. Rabbi Levi said this fellow who, who is the Mikalel, he was a definitive mamzer. How so? <laughs> Taskmasters were from Egypt and the officers were from Israel. The taskmaster was in charge of 10 officers and the officer was in charge of 10 Israelites. It turned out that the taskmaster was in charge of 110 Israelites. On one occasion, a taskmaster met an officer. In other words, a, a capo, if you will. He said to him, go gather your groups of 10. 
when he had gone to gather his group of 10, his 10 Israelites, the Egyptian taskmaster entered his house and sullied Shalomit, the officer's wife. He raped his wife. When her husband returned, he found him, the, the Egyptian leaving his house. When the taskmaster knew that his husband noticed him, he beat him every day and said to him, toil, toil, toil. Moses, the Holy Spirit was kindled in Moses. He raised it, his eyes to the sky. Was it not enough for this wicked man to rape his wife, but that he should return and beat him? Immediately he smote the Egyptian and, and, and hit him in the sand. This man is the son, according to the other, another Midrash, the, the, the blasphemer is the child of that horrible rape. And the story is that he wants to get his lawful presence in the, in the camp of Don, but he's a matrilineal Jew and not a patrilineal Jew. And the Danites say, don't, you can't camp here. He goes to Moses and Moses does not find in his favor. And that, according to the Midrash, is when he curses God. So I'm, I'm kind of sympathetic to this guy. He, brilliant Midrash. It's so a beautiful, I'll send you the link. It's a beautiful Midrash, and, and, and what it's saying is that, I, I interpret it as follows. The rabbis have a difficulty with executing someone on this ground, even though, of course, everything that we are saying, the holy, the central, the organizer, it's the most important. And yet, here we're taking out a person and we're executing him, and and they're they're giving him some character and saying, well, maybe maybe it doesn't come out of thin air. Maybe there is an, a there's a grievance here, and and I want to think about this because I think about the 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 I think about him like many of our young people, many of our adolescents. You know, they're angry at the world. They're they're they want they want something. They're frustrated. They 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 need something. And um, they don't know what to do, and they don't have an outlet for it. And sometimes you can go over the line. So what Moses is saying is, you, the, or the, what his, his sentence is death, because nothing justifies this, but we're sympathetic to you. It's another, in other words, it's like saying, look, um, you know, I got angry, so I took my gun and shot a person. You know, but that, that doesn't justify it. You can, I can have sympathy for you, but you went over the line. That's, I think, what this case is. I have sympathy for the guy because he's angry, but he went over the line. But right. it's a brilliant midrash for, for a number of reasons, one of which is that it knits together the two Mitzri. stories. Mitzri and Mitzri. Yeah, in a very clever way. Um, it's, it's also true that, I mean, I think you're, you're on to this. Not only does the guy, you have sympathy for him, not only because of, of, of uh, his being angry, we should, we should, it should resonate with us that societies sometimes exclude people yes. and make it worse. And so there's a kind of, you know, sympathy for the underdog in this story. This, this poor guy, he, he had no opportunities, you know, uh, and so. He has nowhere to go. And, and, and that's it. he says, I'm, I, his curse is saying, I am out of here. Right, but think of the, the change that's happened in the rabbinic. By the time of the midrash, the people have adopted a matrilineal principle. Indeed, so so, so he would have had a solution had he only lived in a different era, perhaps. Fascinating. Uh, this we could go on, but this is a lot. It's such a rich parsha. These all these parsha are rich, but of course, the, what makes it even more special is the chabruta discussing it with uh, yeah, absolutely together. We, we we miss each other. We're wishing everybody with full shleima. If they are suffering from the illness that is around us, the plague that is making the world chaotic, we miss our, our, 
our congregants, we miss our campers, we miss our students, we miss people, we miss each other. Uh, we want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom.